We have a king. We live in a kingdom. And this kingdom is much, much, much bigger than the United States. It's worldwide. It's universe-wide. It's bigger than that. See, our king is enthroned in heaven. And our lives and our lips are to glorify our king, even when it hurts. We are to view everything in light of his kingdom and live for the glory of our king. But the thought in the minds of us in America can be foreign. The thought of having a king, the thought of living in a kingdom. See, our country was born out of a rebellion to a king. And we like to think that we all have a say in how things go. But in each of our hearts still dwell the seeds of rebellion. You see, the gospel is much bigger than our individual salvation. The story is much bigger than just getting me into heaven. The story is so much bigger. It's about our King and His love and His kingdom and His gospel and His salvation going to the ends of the earth. His entire creation being set free from the bondage of sin and the corruption to decay. And this time, when I was reading, I, I promise you, my intention was to deal with <clears throat> verses 11 through 20, mainly. Because at first I saw verses 8 through 10 as pretty much of a repetition of what we've seen and what we've been through. As Paul goes into a city, he goes into the synagogue, he preaches, souls are converted, souls are angered, persecution arises, he moves on to the Gentiles, and God is building His church. So at first I thought that was pretty much of a repetition, but when I started digging into it, I was captured uh, by one, <clears throat> one phrase that sort of redirected everything I was thinking. See, we're all the way up to <clears throat> the beginning of the third missionary journey. Paul has gone through the, 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 the greatest enemy of the church has been converted. You know, the Osama bin Laden, if you want to put it that way, of that day, instead of being double tapped in the head, was converted and became a missionary. Right? Who loves Jesus loves His church, is now on fire for the gospel, and we've seen Him go through one missionary journey, and churches be planted and souls be saved. We've seen Him go through a second missionary journey, encouraging those churches, and more churches, souls saves, and more, more churches planted. We've seen Him now begin a third missionary journey. And if you remember, on the tail end of the second missionary journey, He went through Ephesus, and He was preaching in the synagogue, and they were like, please stay, and He's like, can't do it. But if God wills, I'll come back. And he has come back. So he has an audience who wants to hear him. And as I looked at verses 8 through 10, I realized I wasn't going to go on to verses 11 through 20. So I'll talk about magic and demon possession and all that stuff next week. Come back. <laughs> but this week, we're going to talk about the kingdom. That was what drew my attention in verse 8, and that's what I thought I needed to maybe pause and speak a little about this morning. 
And it was not only an important message for those in Ephesus, it's an important message for us. And I hope the main takeaway from this as we think about it is embracing, you know, the truth about the kingdom. But to love, the main point, to go away loving and trusting our king and speaking and living for his glory. Very simple. Love and trust your king and speak and live for his glory. So look in verse 8, first point, knowing about the kingdom. It says this, his, his common pattern, going into a new city, he, he went this way, Jew first, then the Gentile, he would go into the synagogue. And it says he entered the synagogue. And look, this was not just one Sunday and run out on a rail, or Saturday at that time. Um, he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And if you've been paying attention, what we've seen before when he would go into the synagogue, he would be reasoning and persuading from the Scriptures showing that Jesus Christ, or Jesus was the Christ, or the Messiah, the anointed King, to come. And sort of a parallel text here says it a little differently, and that's what piqued my attention as I was reading and reading and reading and going back over it. He entered into the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Wow, did he change messages? Is this something different? No. And I thought, what is the kingdom of God? And do our people think about the kingdom of God? Do we know what to think when we hear kingdom of God? So I thought first we should probably bore into that a little bit. So what is the kingdom of God? And what do you think about when you hear the phrase kingdom of God? Certainly, He is sovereign ruler over everything as Creator. But the Jews expected a coming messianic king who would deliver them. And, and of that day, they mostly thought about a political deliverer that would... You know, set them free from the boot of Rome and all of that. But they were looking for that, that messianic kingdom, that kingdom to come when the Messiah would come and set His people free. So the redemptive kingdom, I think, you say it a lot of different ways, but what Paul has in mind here. But the kingdom of God is a big deal. I mean, over a hundred times mentioned in the New Testament. And we'll give you a few things about the kingdom of God just to kind of whet your appetite, maybe fill in some gaps, maybe raise some questions, I don't know. But I, I wanted to take the first section this morning and talk about the kingdom of God. And so I'll give you a few points. First, it was the central message. The kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus. It was the central message that Jesus talked about. Think about how he shocked people. I mean, Mark talks about it in the first chapter when he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom has drawn near. Rejoice and believe the good news. So Jesus taught, and if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I won't look at all of these references. But the king, the, Jesus' message was on how to enter the kingdom. How do we get in on the kingdom? Matthew 5, 20, 7, 21 in Matthew. So he tells us clearly how we enter. 
Uh, his parables illustrate the kingdom. Matthew 13 is a good place to go read those. Mark 11, 1, 15, I've already said, he said the kingdom is here now, then. It had come. And that caused great questions in the minds of the Jews because it wasn't looking like they thought it would look like when the kingdom come, when the Messiah came. So he said the kingdom has come. But he also said in Matthew chapter 6 to pray for the kingdom to come. So it's here, but pray for it to come. Right? He said there's a kingdom prepared for his people. In Matthew 25, 31. And he said in Luke 12, 32 that it's the Father's good pleasure. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So you can see it was a central theme in Jesus' teaching. And, and some draw a difference between, and this is just a minor point, and I'll only mention it quickly. Some say there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They're not. It's just two different ways of speaking of the same thing. Matthew is, is careful about, you know, because Jews didn't even say the name of God. So he's careful. And he likes to use kingdom of heaven. But he's talking about the same thing. They refer to, refer to the same thing, not two different kingdoms. But let's get into a little definition. I have some slides for you. I really like the first simple definition. I think it captures it well and focuses on God's people, uh, his redemptive kingdom. But I want to use probably a little more the second definition because it sets all of this. It helps us set this, what we'll see next week as well as this week, into context. But what is the kingdom of God? Graham's Goldsworthy said this. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. I think we all just memorized that. That's so simple. The kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule. I've never forgotten that since the first time I saw that. It was like, wow, that is so simple and good. God's people... The kingdom of God is, when we're speaking about kingdom of God here, we're talking about God's people in God's place under God's rule. Anthony Hokimus puts it this way. Now, this is a little longer, so it's the reason I'm giving you slides. He says that the, the kingdom of God is the reign of God dynamically or powerfully. The kingdom of God is the reign of God Powerfully active in human history through Jesus Christ. You could put the Messiah for Christ. It means the same thing. The purpose of which is the redemption of his people from sin and from demonic powers. You see how that brings in next week. And the final establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. So you get the idea of it growing to completion. Where it finally is fully here in the new heavens and the new earth. So the, the reign of God powerfully active in human history through Jesus Christ, the purpose of which is the redemption of his people from sin and from demonic powers. And we'll, demonic powers, we'll talk about that next week. And the final establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. And you think about the parable of the mustard seed and the, you know, the yeast infusing and it coming in small form and growing. So Jesus came and brought the kingdom to earth because the king came. To speak about the kingdom is to speak about the king. So it was there in Jesus. And from that point through the gospel going forth, growing till finally we're all in the new heavens and the new earth. Let me just show you number four where Jesus said he brought the kingdom. 
Matthew 12, 28, always controversy with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they had said, because they couldn't deny that Jesus was casting out demons, they said he's doing it by the prince of demons. Beelzebub. He's casting out demons by the power of the evil one. And Jesus was like, no, kingdom divided can't stand and all of that. But he says this in Matthew 12, 28. If, now watch, he puts an if then before him. He said, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If, and that if is assumed true in this way this is put together, then that second part is true. If, I, if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, and that is true, then the kingdom of God has come upon you now. Regardless to all the expectations you have had, which most of them were wrong, he would have said, looking for a political deliverer now, looking for the conquering king now, missing the suffering servant who was to come and bring the kingdom, he said, it is here now. Here's another text from Luke 17, 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Why? Because Jesus was in the midst of them. Some say that means inside you. Certainly the Pharisees being children of Satan and not believers didn't have the kingdom of God inside them. It's talking about Jesus being in the midst of them. The kingdom of God is in your midst because I am in your midst. Wherever the king is, the kingdom is. Jesus is the king. So the kingdom had come. He brought it in. He brought in the kingdom. Number five, the already not yet. You might have heard that terminology. The kingdom is already here, but it's not yet here. It's been inaugurated, but it hasn't been consummated. It has come and it is growing to someday it will be finished in the new heavens and the new earth. Because it grows through the gospel going forth. See, Jesus brought in the kingdom and he taught it, yet He taught us to pray for it to come. It's, it's started but not finished. It's entered the earth but not perfected. It came in Jesus and it's spreading through the gospel and it came into our lives at conversion because He came into our lives at conversion. That is when we, when we turn, when we see our sin and we turn and trust in Jesus, God is at work in us bringing us to faith. Bringing us into the kingdom of God. The king coming to dwell in our hearts by his spirit. We are then his people under his rule in his place. But it's not perfected yet. Everyone doesn't bow willingly at the feet of Jesus yet. All sin and corruption has not been removed from the world yet. So the kingdom has not been consummated. It's not been finished. It is growing and spreading through the spreading of the gospel. 
And the good news of the kingdom. Six, the gospel of the kingdom is that the kingdom has come. The rule of the Messiah has come. He is here. Jesus is the promised Davidic king. The son of David who would reign on the throne forever. He came to deliver His creation from captivity and sin and corruption. And He will finish that work. And we will be with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus has come to rule and bring about redemption and salvation and put the world right again. The world's not right. This is not heaven. I doubt very seriously very many of you think that it is. This is as bad as it gets for the believer. This is as good as it gets for the unbeliever. Turn and believe in the King today. But see, Jesus is on the throne now. We're not waiting for Him to be enthroned. He, he, before He ascended, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Fulfilling Daniel who received a kingdom that would never end. To speak of the kingdom is to speak of the king. And the king is Jesus. He brought the kingdom. And he is overseeing his kingdom. And he will complete his kingdom. And it will be finished in the new heavens and the new earth. I, wanted, I was thinking about this thing. And I'm thinking, you know, we like, we like, yes, we need sort of memory keys. Memory pegs. Things that we can remember and expand under. So that when we think about a word... Those things come to mind and they, they, they keep something with us. So as you think or hear or read kingdom of God, I want you to think at least about these three words. Okay? I'm going to give you three words that you can sort of file. And then when you think kingdom of God, you can, you can think about this. First word is above. Above. So when you think of the kingdom of God, think above. Above. He rules over. King. Enthroned. Over the universe. He's creator. He's sovereign. He's king. And in Ephesians, when it talks about him being raised and seated in authority after his resurrection, look at the language it uses in Ephesians 1.21. He was seated far above. Not just barely above. Far above. All rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. So Jesus as King is far above all other rule and authority. He has authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why He can say, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And even if individual governments resist, we have higher orders to take the Gospel to those nations. So kingdom, to speak of the kingdom is to speak of the king. And the king is seated far above all rule and authority. He is ruling over his creation, but he has a purpose. And the purpose is the accomplishing of the glory of God in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Spirit all working to the same end. But the king is above. He's far above all rule and authority. And listen, if you're not trusting in Jesus, that's not good news. 
Because we have offended Him. We have rebelled against His rule. We have rejected His commandments. We want to go our own way. We want to tip Him a little bit sometimes. We, we, will, we will be religious while we resist Him or sometimes we'll be non-religious and resist Him. But, but we, when I say we, I mean big we. All of humanity, Jew and Gentile, every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person born into this world deserves wrath, not blessing. And this king rules over it is a holy king. And he must judge sin. And he's reigning to make all things right. But praise God, He's a merciful King. That's not the next word, but I want you to think about that. But just remember, He's above all and we have offended Him and we deserve condemnation. Second word, for. F-O, not the number. F-O-R. He's reigning above everything, yes, but He's reigning for something. He's reigning for us. Everything He does is for us. Even though we deserve wrath, before there was ever a molecule, He had planned, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had planned redemption and covenanted together to accomplish it. The Father giving a people to His Son, the Son coming to live for them, die for them, and be raised from the grave. The Spirit to apply that good news of the Gospel to them so that they come to faith and repentance. And find out just how weak they are and struggle in this life, but have an all-sufficient Savior. So He's not just reigning big picture over the universe with some vague purpose. He's reigning for His church. He reigns for the salvation of His people. He reigns to see His gospel go to the end of the earth. And every aspect of His rule is for us and not against us. And you might say, but I lost my job. Or man, I signed up to be in the Marine Corps for three more years and I don't want to be. I've heard that story before. Or I want to be a career and I can't be. Or, or I lost. You name it. See, Him ruling for us doesn't mean everything goes our way. But it means He's with us through it all, making us like Himself and using us for His purpose and taking us all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. It won't always feel like He's reigning for you. But those are the times that test you. And He's asking in those times, do you trust Me? Because it's easy to trust Him when things are going the way you think they ought to. The new job comes in. The new spouse or the new boyfriend girlfriend or the new car or it's easy to trust when things are going well as we defined well but what trust tests our faith is the hard times when we feel dead inside or things are not going our way or when we're confused you know we won't always feel like he's reigning for us but his word says He's reigning for us. Yes, He's reigning for His glory. God reigns for His glory. But there's no contradiction between that and Him reigning for His people. Look at Ephesians 1.22. 1.21 was Him far above all rule and authority. 1.22, look at what it says about what's been done for Jesus. And He put all things under His feet. Another way of saying under His rule. Under His dominion. And gave Him His head. Now watch this. 
I'm going to explain something to you. And he gave him as head over all things for the church. I know ESV says to the church. But that little word can be translated to or for, and it should probably be for. So in this instance, I think the NIV, the Holman Christian Standard, the New Living Translation, got it right. I, I did that because she at one time really liked that and used that, and it was helpful. And I was always talking bad about it, so I'm making up for some of that. <laughs> Gave him, now watch this, this is not something that's happening in the future. Everything has been foot, put under Jesus' foot now. And not now, then. At ascension, at resurrection. And he's ruling and reigning. When you see all things, you can say everything, same thing. He's, he's, everything's under his feet and he's head over everything for the benefit of his church in order to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Jesus is reigning for his church. But I want you to remember, Jesus is reigning. So he's above word one. He's for. He's reign, his goal, his reign has a purpose and that's for his church. And the, the last word is with. Above, for, with. And this is the goal and accomplishment of the kingdom. And it's always been His purpose. All through Scripture, you see God promising to dwell with His people. You see Him with His people in, in, in the Garden of Eden before the fall. You see Him with His people after the fall. Uh, skipping ahead, you see Him in the midst of His people, Israel, in the temple. Tribes all around. That was all not fulfillment. That was pointing forward to Jesus, the true temple, being in the midst of His people and accomplishing redemption and coming to live within our hearts and promising to dwell with us forever. The goal of redemptive history is God dwelling with His people. It's pictured by the temple. It was inaugurated by Jesus and it will be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. So he reigns above everything for his church in order to dwell forever with his people. Look at Revelation 21.3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, now watch this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. Let me read just a little bit more. Now this is the one we always think about. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, from their eyes. When? Then. Not now. We go through grief and trials here, but He's make, using them all to make us like Jesus. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. When? Then. Not now. Neither shall there be mourning. When? Then. Not now. We mourn now. We lose people now. We mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Now watch this. Or crying. Or pain. There'll be no more pain then. For the former things have passed away and He's made all things new. So God reigns over everything and He has from the first creation in Genesis 1. Sovereign over everything with a plan of redemption. To send His Son to save His people. He's always reigning for His people with the goal of eternally dwelling with His people in never-ending satisfaction, joy, bliss, purpose, 
fulfillment, all of those things that will be ours in the new heaven and the new earth. See, we won't be floating on, around on clouds playing harps. That's weird cherub dreams, okay? We will be in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells just like it should be and should have been from the beginning, maybe if Adam had and all those crazy questions we come up with. Even better, there's no possibility of falling in the new heavens and the new earth. So God reigns above everything for His people to be with His people eternally. Hope that helps. But the king came to establish his kingdom and to speak of the kingdom is to speak of the king. To speak of the king is to speak about the kingdom. That's what Paul was doing, showing them that all of their expectations and hopes, the ones that were scriptural at least, for the kingdom of God have come in Jesus in seed form and are growing through his gospel and will be finished one day in the new heavens and the new earth. The political deliverer, the conquering king that they expected, that is second coming when he comes again. Suffering servant was the first coming of the king to birth and grow his kingdom, to build and grow his church made up of Jew and Gentile, one new man. So see, that's what Paul is teaching. And you can see some believe, but you can see why some of the Jews might have had been not been so happy with what he was teaching. So that's knowing about the kingdom. Now look, just quickly speaking about the kingdom in verses 9 and 10. So he's been boldly, he's been boldly speaking and persuading about the kingdom of God. And some have been persuaded, but look at verse 9. But when some became stubborn, why did they become stubborn? Look, and continued in unbelief. They're holding on. They're continuing. They're still dead in their trespasses and sins. They're refusing Christ and the gospel. They're refusing Paul's message. They continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. Now stop. That's one of Luke's favorite ways of talking about the followers of Christ. You'll see it throughout Acts. He, he calls Christianity the way. Why might he have done that? What did Jesus say? I am the truth and the life, right? So Luke called, this is just another way. What we would say, Christian, they were speaking evil of Christianity or Christ. He says, and you, you'll see it as we go through Acts more, the way. And we've already seen it. Speaking evil of the way before the congregation. What congregation? In the synagogue. Which was made up of Jews and God-fearers, Gentiles, who were in there as well. But they, some of them didn't believe. They rejected the gospel. We've seen this happen before in other cities. And so Paul, although he'd stayed there for three months, he withdrew. It says he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So he's, he's there for three months. He's teaching. He's come back the way he promised. And he's teaching them more about the kingdom of God, more about the king, more about Jesus and the gospel. Souls are being converted. But then, same old story, jealousy is rising up. Some are being resistant. And now, now the meetings just turn into sort of them speaking evil of the way, resisting him. And it's become unproductive at this point. So Paul withdrew. He goes to the hall of Tyrannus, which is just a lecture hall where disciples would various forms and of disciples would gather with their teachers and and hear. And not sure exactly what the connection was that 
Paul had access to that, but God has provided another place for his church to meet. It wasn't a shopping mall, but it was a lecture hall. It wasn't a school. Sometimes you'll see school of Tyrannus, but it wasn't like they were a bunch of classes going on formally. But, but they, were, they were in the hall of Tyrannus. They were in there. Now watch this. This is something daily. Did you catch that? Reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And look what happened. Verse 10. This continued for two years. So all the time in the synagogue, all the setting of the stage, and then they go to the hall of Tyrannus and meeting daily for dis teaching and discussion about the kingdom, about Christ, about the Messiah. It continued for two years. Now watch this. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What does that mean? Did Paul go to every single person in Asia and tell them about the gospel? About Christ? About the kingdom? About the Messiah? Couldn't have. He's every day in the hall of Tyrannus. The people who heard and believed went out with that message so that the whole of that region was filled with the message of Jesus. Paul taught and reasoned with and discussed and disciples and those disciples this is like we saw in Acts chapter 8 they went out with the gospel so that the whole region heard about Jesus they heard of the kingdom embraced the kingdom and they're living for the kingdom Because they heard about the king, embraced the king, and they're living for the king. The kingdom of God was spreading in Asia. Think of modern day Turkey. Part of that. And it continues to spread today. Not simply through preachers, but also through hearers who take then the gospel to the people. Did you know you come into contact with people in your daily life, in your neighborhood, and all of that, that, that none of the rest of us ever will come into contact with, who need to hear about the kingdom of God, who need to hear about the king, who need to hear the gospel. And it doesn't mean you always have to dump the whole story on everybody you meet. You just season your conversation with salt, and sometimes you have opportunity to expand upon that. That's what was happening here. Look at God. Look at Christ building His church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In other words, they're going to storm through the very gates of hell. Push back the darkness. Take out disciples through the preaching of the gospel. And look, it happened through opposition. See, we saw this in chapter Acts and we see this in our lives and we don't believe it. We're in a good place when things are hard. Because God is at work making us like Christ, working in us for the gospel and giving us opportunity then, sending us, using us through that trial and hardship to impact others 
So we see this, and I just very quickly expect opposition, but trust the king to accomplish his purpose. See, it didn't take them by surprise. Because they knew. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Rejoice when life is hard because God is at work in this hardness to make you more like His Son. Because I promise you, no matter how holy you are, life is going to be hard. And it's going to be real hard sometimes. Sometimes you won't even be able to see on your own how this is going to work out. Those are the times when we need faith the most, not the least. To believe the King is active. And accomplishing his purpose. Look at Hokema's definition again. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. Powerfully or dynamically active in human history. Through Jesus Christ. The purpose of which is the redemption of his people from sin. And from captivity. From demonic powers. And it lasts all the way and works all the way. Until the final establishment of the new heavens. And the new earth. See, the good news of the kingdom is of Jesus, is the gospel spreading and accomplishing his purpose in spite of and through hardship. Now, remember chapter 8, the persecution that just fanned the church out, but everywhere the church went, the gospel went. And disciples were made. God always is and always will accomplish his purpose in and through his church, in and through your life. If you know him. And yes there will be times when you hurt. And are confused and don't understand. And need people to help you. And all of that. We're a community. We do life in community. Not as the Lone Ranger. But notice your king. And notice his victory. And it is as true for us. It is as true for you. As it was for them in that day. The word went through the whole region. Again, next week we'll talk about magic and demonic powers and all that. You'll come back. I hope you'll come back for that. But all we can do, we are called to do to get his word out. Just concluding quickly. Substitute Swansboro for Ephesus. The Bible is not being still written. But if God was to write about us in Swansboro, would he have this to say? That through the teaching and the believing and the going, that the word was getting out. And, and it is getting out, but we, we always need improvement. We need to get better. We need to be more passionate for the gospel and for the growth. To be able to place our trials and hardships and hurting in the context of his grace so that we're encouraged. And even when we're hurting, we can trust him and live for him and know that his way is best. So I want to end with a couple of questions. First, are you in the kingdom? That's just another way of me asking you, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Has there been a time in your life when you saw your sin and your need of a Savior, that you owned the fact that you deserve condemnation, but you turned, change of mind leading to a change of action, repentance, you turned to God in contrition, confessing your sin and crying out to Christ for salvation, receiving Jesus as your Savior. Have you received the King? Are you trusting in the King? Is your hope for eternal life in the King and the King alone? It's not, He'll save you after all you can do, like the Mormons say. 
It's by grace, through faith alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a free gift to you if you... Kids, are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? Mom and dad love you and they'll give you a lot of stuff, but they can't give you eternal life. Parents, are you trusting in Jesus and living for the King? Are you in the kingdom? Are you, do you have faith in Jesus? I hope so. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, to reign for us. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish what we deserve, but have everlasting life. What must I do to be saved? The jailer cried. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Most of us, I'm convinced in here, most of us are trusting in Christ. So let me ask you a question. Are you living for the kingdom? Is your life devoted to Jesus and growingly like Jesus? I didn't ask you if you were perfect. Because you're not glorified yet. Neither am I. Don't expect perfection out of me or Cindy or anybody in here. But do we love and trust Jesus and are we growing in His grace? And growing in His grace means we're living more in joyful submission to our King. We're living more in line with His reign and His kingdom. We're willing to hurt to do the right thing. Are you, is your life devoted to Jesus and you're growingly like Jesus? See, we're going to celebrate communion today and that's a kingdom meal and it proclaims our King's suffering and death for us. He died for us. He denied Himself. He went to the cross. He took hell for us, purchasing us for Himself and calling us now. Corinthians says that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died for us and was raised from the grave. So Jesus is our King and He lived a life of self-sacrifice and He calls us to follow Him in a life of self-sacrifice. That doesn't mean we have to be go physically crucified. But we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. Kingdom life is not a, what have you done for me lately life. A lot of people will follow, I'll put it in quotes, follow Jesus. If you promise them health, wealth, and prosperity, and ease, and no trouble. Christianity is not a what have you done for me lately. If you ever have the guts to even think that way, look to the cross. That should not be a question. But look, the Christian life is patient self-sacrifice in hope, in faith, living for Jesus. Paul would later define the kingdom in Romans 14. He said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not all external, external stuff. But look, it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is salvation, being reconciled to your king and life in him. We talked about joy in group the other night and how we can have joy even through the tears and the trials of life. It's not happiness, circumstance-driven happiness. It's a deep-seated contentment in God and in Jesus for what He's done for us. The, the kingdom is righteousness gifted to us and we're being transformed into that image. Peace with God, therefore peace in our souls, knowing we're reconciled, and therefore joy in the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of our troubles. If you're struggling deeply and you don't have joy, just you need a reset, a reboot, a refocus on Jesus. 
Maybe the trials have a good, they're really good at getting between us and the Lord so that all we see is the trouble or the sin or the failure. And that'll just drive our noses into the ground. Get Jesus back in between you and that trial or trouble and begin to walk more joyfully and wait patiently on Him in the midst of the trial. See, our lives and our lips, our lips are part of our lives, but it makes a point should be faithfully proclaiming His kingdom while we draw breath on this earth. Thomas Watson said, every time you suck in a breath, you suck in mercy. We don't deserve one more breath, one more heartbeat, one more, you name it. Yet He continually gives, loves, gives. See, we have a king and his name is Jesus. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth now. And his kingdom is spreading to the ends of the earth. And it has included us because it spreads through the power of the Holy Spirit applying the gospel message of his mercy and grace. He sacrificed himself for us to include us in his righteous redemptive rule in his kingdom. And he freely gives us Eternal life because he has paid for it. And someday, let me just whet your appetite and I'll end with this. Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Love and trust your king. Speak and live for his glory. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray that everyone in this building, from the youngest child to the oldest adult, is trusting in you, Lord Jesus, and in you alone. If not, may today be the day of salvation. May be, today be the day that the, they turn and trust in Christ. Bless your word. Accomplish your purpose. Set us free from our own false expectations. Help us to love you. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to love one another the way Christ has loved us. Help us to sacrifice ourselves for your kingdom. To take up our cross and follow you. To honor you even when it hurts. And when it's fun and everything in between. Because we have so gracious a king. That would live for us and die for us. Be raised for us. Who would reign for us. Bring the gospel to us and draw us to himself in salvation. Hallelujah. What a savior. We praise you today. We honor you today. We pray for your blessing and we trust you for it. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.